Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. Welcome to the good stuff. Yep. The Laugh Podcast. We are your hosts, Richard Lusk and Ryan Bull, and this is episode number 171, our best of the two-thirds of the year so far <laughs> episode. You can find more episodes on iTunes where it would be great if you left us a review. Please uh, share with us your list of top films so far this year, if you like, by going to our blog at www.thelaughpodcast.com or you can drop us a line at thelaughpodcast.com or at gmail.com. Wow. Thelaughpodcast at gmail.com. As I stated before, we're going to be going over our list of movies that we've enjoyed so far this year. Uh, looking at your list overall, are there is there anything that sticks out comprehensively? I think when I was trying to make my list, I was thinking back to how enjoyable of an experience I had watching the film the first time. Mm-hmm. Some of these films have already come out on Blu-ray or streaming, so I've been able to catch up with them again and rewatch them. But I was really trying to just focus on that initial viewing, what I thought of them, and, you know, just did I enjoy the film a whole lot? And I would say all of these were really a lot of fun to go see. Did you see all or most of them in the theater? Or? I saw almost all of them. Okay. One of them I did not, but I would have enjoyed, I think, getting to see that with a crowd in a theater. So uh, what about for you? What was your criteria when you were making your list? Well, I have a list now of my favorite movies. There are the movies I've watched this year, and I think it's pretty complete. I think I like 45 movies now, which is pretty low for this time of the year. But I've also been powering through the wire. Mm. Uh, so that's taken up a lot of my viewing time. But I, for, in preparation for this, I put together a list, and I ranked the movies that I've seen this year in uh, order. And all of these movies uh, scored sevens or better. And then I looked at the ones that had sevens because I had a considerable number of movies with sevens. And I thought, well, which of those are my favorite? Any perfect tens? No. No perfect tens. No perfect movies. No, so one far nine, this year. one eight, and then you know, five sevens. Maybe one seven point five. But anyway, right. that's a lot of numbers to throw out there. Uh, this movie I thought would have been a crossover for us because you introduced it to me and then I think I saw it on DirecTV. Or no, wait, did it come? It came to the movie theaters, but it didn't do very well in box office. And we went and saw this together. It did not do well in the box office, but it's a great movie and it's on Redbox now. And you offered it as a streaming pick because it ties into the Olympics. And it is the movie The Bronze starring Melissa Rauch as a spoiled and largely forgotten Olympic medalist who takes action when a promising young gymnast played by Haley Lou Richardson threatens her status as a local celebrity. We reviewed this on uh, episode 136 back in March, March 28th. If you're going to uh, try to find that podcast, it uh, is, I think, the funniest movie so far this year. Mountain Dew Large. Diet. Did I say diet? It comes to $9.30. Oh, no, does it? Oh, no, no. She's on the house. Don't you know who this is? You tell him, Tony. Check the wall, son. Yeah, check the wall, son. She was the star of the 2004 games. Honey, I know you've been stealing from my truck again. But that was a long time ago. No more allowance. You're cutting off my allowance and you want me to stop stealing? What kind of 
And I'm, I'm not surprised that I liked it so much, but I am surprised that the critics didn't like it better. Because it's better than a lot of big budget comedies that I've seen, like the ten, twenty million dollar movies, mm-hmm. like The Boss, or even like Neighbors. And it's definitely original. I mean, it has original premise. The characters are funny. Yeah, it's probably the best film we've ever seen that made less than a million dollars opening weekend. It's made less than a million dollars overall, although it opened at Sundance, and it has some uh, legitimate like comedy actors in it. Um, Gary Cole stars as his, her mother. Or her father, Stan Gregory. Uh, and Thomas Middleditch is in this. He's in uh, Silicon Valley. And he's going to be in Captain Underpants. He'd be good in that. I think he'll he'll rock it. Um, you would know, the listeners would know Melissa Rauch as uh, someone in the Big Bang Theory. But Bernadette. Bernadette. And this summer, at the end of the summer, she's going to be on uh, a movie called A Flock of Dudes. It's coming out in September. I also found out in my research that she was in the True Blood uh, True Blood uh, TV series on HBO as a girlfriend of somebody. And I mentioned it to my uh, fiancé, Tony. And she said, oh, yeah, that's the girl that likes the dolls. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> okay. So there. Uh, this movie is about how we're unable to really break free of ourselves. We can't escape ourselves. But I think it also deals with the idea that despicable people can be happy too. <laughs> Do you have to change in order to be happy? No, you just have to be rich. That would help. <laughs> you have no. to be able to ignore your faults. Yeah, though, no, I, I, think. I think that's a good pick. I probably have that as my number two comedy of the year so wow. far. Yeah. Is your number one comedy one of your movies? Yep. yep. All right. So, but no, I, I really enjoyed it. I wish uh, more people had seen it. Well, maybe they will now that they see it up on my list. Yeah. Um. <laughs> My number five is also a small film that hasn't hit big yet. I think it's going to hit big later this year because uh, HBO helped finance the film. So I think it'll get shown on HBO here sometime in the future and people will be talking about it. Uh, This is a movie we did back on episode 158.5. We did a special bonus uh, episode that week. Uh, This is the movie Tickled. I saw a trailer for this online beginning of summer it's a documentary about a New Zealand reporter who comes across a weird tickling video online and he tries to investigate a little bit in it and he's uh, almost scared off of doing anything more on this film. He's threatened with lawsuits and all this stuff and instead of getting scared he gets angry and he goes down the rabbit hole and what a rabbit hole it is. There are many twists and turns in this film. The trailer had to turn off about two-thirds of the way through because I didn't want anything more revealed. And I ended up sending a Twitter message to Dylan Reeve, one of the directors of this. He spends most of his time behind the camera of this film. And he contacted me back and uh, offered up a screener version of this. So uh, we watched it. I think we were both really into this film. (laughs) It was funny. It, it was funny. It's the funniest it, it, documentary I've seen in a while. Yeah, it's weird. It goes in unexpected places. Unfortunately, it hasn't been shown in a ton of theaters around us. It hasn't gotten a real wide release. It, it's more like... I think it's opening... I think it's going to be up in Alexandria, which is close to where mm-hmm. we live in Virginia, this month or September. Yeah, uh, the directors have been doing like a lot of Q&As with the film. Yeah, um, I think they're touring with the film. Yeah, so... Uh, you know, here's hoping that it gets a wider release or, you know, is really available on yeah. streaming here soon. And, and when it is, I'm sure we'll mention it on the show. Depending on how HBO handles it, it could 
become really popular. Like the way that they did the Jinx or uh, that that going clear, the mm-hmm. Scientology. Like they, they advertised it. But it could also wind up as a segment on one of their uh, – like, like Viceland? Yeah. Yeah. And then, then it wouldn't get the attention that it deserves. So it's a good pick. Good pick. Funny documentary to watch. I still want to know the rules of competition tickling, but haven't been able to track down the rules. So that you can that. follow it better or you want to get involved? Because, yeah, I, I mean, it know. seems to me like this is a young man's game. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, I don't want to do it myself. I just want to know who to put on my fantasy team. <laughs> All right. Speaking of fantasy, this is a movie that you and I saw separately, but in the theater. It didn't do really well in the box office, but oh, actually it did better because of marketing than it probably would have if it had just been shown to be or let to be uh, the, the kind of movie that it really is. Arguably the, the best trailer of the year, the red band of this one. Yeah. I know, you know, on the last episode we went on and on about Suicide Squad and the Warner Brothers trailers. This movie has the best trailer of the year. Yeah, I, I agree. There's also another cut of the movie trailer. Is that the one you're referring to? Yeah. All right. So both of them sort of the red band trailer for this movie is something you should probably go watch. But it gives a very different version of the movie that's actually on the screen. I remember telling my students about this movie and feeling I couldn't really explain it to them very well because of the visual. Uh, the very first scene is so visually striking, but also so disquieting that it's stuck with me all the way through uh, till now. And it came out in March, so I can still picture it. I can still picture parts of this movie. The movie is called The Witch, and it's about a witch. So uh, there's, there's nothing false about the um, the sort of the world that you find yourself in. In 1630 New England, it's about a fa- uh, family, a farmer, his wife, and their four children. I think there's a daughter. Actually, there's five children because there's also a baby who disappears. And the family blames the oldest daughter, Thomason, who is played by Anya Taylor-Joy, who was supposed to have been watching the daughter or the boy at the time of the disappearance. And then suspicion and paranoia begin to mount around this and the movie sort of escalates from there. There are these twin siblings, Mercy and Jonas who suspect her and then start to accuse her. Uh, the family starts to break apart as a result of this, as it probably would even in a modern setting if the child is lost and the daughter is responsible for it. But there's also a, uh, a young child, uh, uh the younger, uh, brother of her played by uh, Harvey Scrimshaw as Caleb. Uh, This was written and directed by Robert Eggers. And he said about the movie that he wanted to feel like a Puritan's nightmare. He said the movie would, if he could make the movie he wanted, he could upload a Puritan's nightmare into the audience's mind's eye. And uh, I think he was successful at doing that. He communicated his vision quite well with this movie because it's the images still stick with me. It's not really that scary, but it's intensely weird. And I think you enjoyed it too, but I can't I, I know that I told you about it and you eventually saw it. The main reason I wanted you to watch this so I'd have someone to talk <laughs> to about it. And I can't it's my 
personally, it's like my fourth rated movie so far of the year. It might wind up at the end of the year on the top of my list, but I, I can't. I don't think I could recommend it to anybody else. It, it, it's slow. There's a lot of mood and atmosphere. It, it's not like anything else I've seen. <laughs> I, I'm very glad, though, I, I was able to go and see this film. Whether you like the ending or not, I think the movie earns it, even though it's, uh, I feel, it, I mean, a lot of people feel it comes out of nowhere. But because it's such a direct manifestation of the director's vision, I'm, I'm willing to go with it. And I, initially I didn't like the ending as much as I kind of, I kind of do now. I kind of appreciate it now. I want to get a little bit farther away from it before I watch it again. But, um, you know, my number four pick. So I like it. Um, my number four pick is also a horror film. And I, I think this one edges out the witch just a little bit. I, you know, I have the witch right outside of my top five for right now. And uh, one of the reasons I think it gets edged out is because in comparison to 10 Cloverfield Lane, I, I think 10 Cloverfield Lane's a, a little stronger. And mostly that's because of the excellent acting in it. Uh, John Goodman stars along with Mary Elizabeth Weinstead. This is my private space. Off limits, unless I give express permission. Go ahead. I don't need to. You will, though. And I've got to pace these things out, so please. I need privacy. You're welcome to close the curtain. I can't with you standing there. And I can't trust you not to burn this place down. This is for my own safety. I'm not some pervert. Just go. flush unless you've gone. Can't afford wasted flushes. Uh, they're both fantastic. There's John Goodman, I think, is my favorite actor working today. And I think it's a true crime. He doesn't have multiple Academy Awards. <laughs> uh, pretty much any movie he's in, his scenes are the best ones. Uh, we both raved about him in uh, Truman. Babe. It, <laughs> the Babe. He's awesome. Truman. Yeah. Trumbo, sorry. Trumbo. <laughs> Trumbo, thank you. Not Truman. He's not Truman Trail, unfortunately. But if he was, yeah. it would be awesome. He's the hero of yeah. that movie. Uh, I caught up with 10th Overfield Lane after it had been out for about three weeks, so we only covered it on a We Laugh back on episode 132, and we were both kind of excited about the movie. The trailer had premiered during the Super Bowl, and it involves uh, a guy who has his own bunker, Doomsday Bunker, and a woman who ends up in there against her will and you know those bunker dudes are kind of scary and kind of creepy and maybe they're crazy but what if just possibly one actually got it right and all of his paranoias are real and the movie you know it, it gives you answers eventually but you know there's a lot to question and it's interesting i've never kind of seen this type of character get fully realized normally those bunker guys they're very flat characters, not well realized. But John Goodman's character is awesome and creepy and scary. And Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, I really like watching her. She was great in the movie Fault. I, I think we've talked about a little mm -hmm. bit on the star. 
where she uh, they attempt to deprogram her after she's escaped from a cult. That's a great little film. So I'm hoping to see more from her as well. She was in Swiss Army Man. She's the best part of that movie. Not surprising. Yeah. So uh, hopefully she does a whole lot more here in the coming years, and we'll be able to cover her as well as uh, Mr. Goodman. So that's my number four. That's a good pick. Best thing about that movie, uh, the director is a podcaster. Oh, we should get him on the show. Uh, Dan Trackenberg. Trackenberg, yeah. Trackenberg, yeah. All right, this is my number three movie. I know that you enjoyed it as well. Sadly, uh, the the star of this movie had a uh, untimely end over the summer. He was in a freak accident. The star of the movie, Anton Yelkin, uh, passed away earlier in the summer. So it brings me a lot of pain to bring this movie to you as my number three pick, but I wouldn't be surprised if it finished... Uh, you know, my top five at the end of the year either, because it made a strong impression on me. It's called Green Room. I've been waiting for this movie to come out for a couple of years. I think they filmed it more than two years ago. And then it went the festival route and eventually got a wide release, uh, much wider than the first movie by director Jeremy Saulnier, Blue Ruin, uh, which was his second movie. He also did Murder Party. This uh, movie... We reviewed an episode 146 on uh, in May the 19th. Um, starred, as I mentioned, Anton Yelkin and uh, Alia Shawat, Joe, Joe Cole, and Callum Turner as the punk rock band The Ain't Rights, who uh, go to, uh, I guess, a, a bar or something somewhere that's led by these white supremacists. They team up with a young Imogene Poots when they they have to try to escape from these white supremacists out of a remote um, roadhouse somewhere. And I don't want to say a, a whole lot more of it except that uh, it's sort of a, a cat and mouse movie where the mouse is already in the trap. <laughs> He's got to try to get out of the trap. So uh, Reminiscent of Assault on Precinct 13, the classic John Carpenter film. Right. Your trap, people want in to kill you, and, and you've got to eventually you've got to escape, yeah. Uh, the leader of the skinheads is Patrick Stewart as uh, Darcy Banker. And this also stars Macon Blair, Laugh Podcast fave Macon Blair as Gabe, who's sort of a, the skinhead manager of this roadhouse. I think he's the protagonist of the movie. <laughs> I see this as his movie. I made that argument back in episode 146. And uh, I think you tweeted out to him something. And yeah, I had a little conversation, yeah. and uh, I'm excited to cover his next film. I believe it's Gold with Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. Basically, he only has a small, small role but a cool beard. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that film more when it comes out. I believe it's set to be released sometime this fall. Yeah, I saw that somewhere. It's it's actually a movie I'm looking forward to. So for the the. It's going to be in our fall movie preview, which will be coming up once we get back to school, right? Yeah. Uh, the best part about this movie, I think, is the atmosphere and how they create the this setting and this feeling. And the, I, I always felt like I knew where the characters were in relation to each other, which is important in a movie like this when they're kind of being trapped and stalked. Um, there, there's some dog tension that happens which make it hard for me to recommend to my uh, fiance because she, she hates it when dogs have 
you know, they get menaced or terrorized. But this is a perfect kind of movie for her aside from that because it, it, it is character-driven and uh, just an interesting examination of what, what would you do if you were in a situation. It's kind of scary. Uh, Jeremy Saulnier is going to, apparently he's teamed up with A24 again to adapt William Giraldi's next novel, Hold the Dark, which is about a, uh, a story set in the Alaskan wilderness about a hunter who is summoned to track and destroy a pack of wolves who murdered or had taken away a young child or something. And then the grieving father goes after the hunter who is chasing after the wolves. So you never really know who's chasing who or what's it all about. So it's an uh, interesting take speaking of, uh, you know, dog violence and (laughs) dog menace or whatever. So looking forward to that one also when it comes out, that's my number three movie this year. I like it. Green room. Um, my number three is a movie that was definitely helped because we saw it in the best theater in Hampton Roads, uh, down at the Hampton the Roads Dolby. AMC, uh, the, the Dolby Digital Theater. Digital. It's uh, just to the left of the food stand in that back corner, and the sound is amazing. This was the first time I'd ever been in the theater. I think it was the same way with you. Uh, we had had a, a snow coming in during the school day so they closed school early and told everyone to go directly home that the snowstorm was going to be really bad so uh we went to the movies instead and saw deadpool and i was blown away by the movie kind of lonesome back here little help here excuse me dopinder cool dead why the fancy red suit mr pool oh that's because it's christmas day dopinder and i'm after someone on my naughty list you're probably thinking, this was a superhero movie, but that guy in the suit just turned that other guy into a kebab. Surprise, this is a different kind of superhero story. To tell it right, we gotta take you back before I squeezed into red spandex. Yeah, you know, the sound was great, Dolby Digital, definitely need to see it like that. But it was also, it's the first R-rated comic book movie that got a, a wide release. I mean, there have been some other smaller films. I laughed my way through this film, was really, really um, overwhelmed by how well the film worked. Uh, it'd been in production for something like 10 years. Ryan Reynolds had been attached and uh, Fox Films had released or uh, leaked a, a teaser. They had done like a little four minute test reel and, you know, they said it got stolen, but you know, all the fanboys online went crazy for it, showed a lot of promise. And this film lived up to it. Uh, the film stars Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool, Marina Bachran, who's on Gotham. She's his love interest. Also has TJ Miller from Silicon Valley. He's kind of the funny guy who runs a bar. Uh, we reviewed it on episode 124 of the Laugh Podcast. Uh, I think you kind of enjoyed it. Or maybe it's your favorite comic book movie of the year so far? Yeah, uh, maybe. Seen. I mean, Captain America was okay too. Yeah, it was up there. I, they're they're okay. I mean, as far as superhero movies, it's, as far as it's no Ant Man. I, I definitely heard you laugh a couple times during the film. I don't think you fell asleep. I know I didn't. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, you know, it's a solid film. It's not for the kids though. I mean, it earns its right. R rating. They're already working on a second Deadpool. I believe they're trying to get that out in 2018. I'm really interested to see where they go with that character and what's the next storyline. My problem with it was that he wasn't ugly enough yeah. with his mask off. Like I could still, I, I could understand why he was. They, Marina Bossarain's character, still liked him. 
I mean, he's still Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to make Ryan Reynolds ugly. Right. Uh, the other thing that was really impressive about this film was they did it on a budget of less than $60 million. That's surprising. In fact, right before they started filming, they had to cut something like $9 million off of their budget. So they had to cut some stuff in the middle, and the film is improved because of it. It only runs about 100 minutes long. It's quick. It's well-paced. It's not sluggish at all. Going back to last week's show, I could argue that you could do could have done the same thing with Suicide Squad and maybe had a better movie. Cut the budget in half. It, it would have been interesting to see what they would have done. And you know, what do you really keep? What you know, what is the heart of the film? So uh, I, I enjoyed Deadpool, and I think it deserves credit. And that's why I've got it at the number three spot. So sweet. So now we're at one and two, and uh, I was going to ask you earlier if we if you thought we'd have any crossover. But I knew the answer to that because you already shared with me your list. So these are actually our one and two movies of the year, but I think they're reversed for us. So We are not in agreement on who should get the gold and who should get the silver. <laughs> My uh, number two movie is, I think, your number one movie mm-hmm. and then vice versa. This movie is The Nice Guys with uh, Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe starring as Holland March and Jackson Healy. And it's a unique comic noir sort of period piece set in the 70s uh, about a down-on-his-luck private eye who uh, hunts, who teams up with this enforcer uh, to hunt down, I think, a, she was a, a adult film star. Mm-hmm. Something happens. Fate turns them into partners when initially they'd been set against each other. And uh, they learn the hard way that they have to work together to achieve their goal. And their when their investigation takes them down into these dark roads where it's very complicated and convoluted like most noirs are. This is directed and written by Shane Black, uh, who wrote along with Anthony Bogorosi. Also starring in the movie is Keith David as an older guy. And uh, Kim Basinger, she appears as Judith Kuttner. Um, so I, I really like this movie. I I think it deals with a lot of the themes that Shane Black is interested in, like uh, how children create moral grounding for characters. And it works on several levels. Like uh, it's metaphorical, as I like to say in movies. <laughs> this movie is actually a metaphor. <laughs> Funny movie. Sure. I- yeah, there's something about the way Shane Black writes that just really gets my sense of humor. And he, I, I think a lot of that is because he did so many 90s action movies. He's probably most famous with penning the Lethal Weapon films, films that I saw countless times growing up and just really, really enjoyed um, their blend of humor and action. And here, Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe, they make an awesome team. You're the guy who beat up my dad. Hey, no. Sucker punched your dad. Big difference. But don't worry. He just did it for money. (laughs) You beat people up and charge money? Yeah. Sad, isn't it? That's really your job? Yeah. No way. Yeah. So, um, how much would you charge to beat up my friend Janet? What? How much you got? 30 bucks. Oh, 30 bucks. Apple pie. Is she a big girl? She's tall. All right. Super annoying. Apple pie. She's always mean to me. That's good. This conversation is over. We're just talking. I was a little worried when I first heard about them doing a movie together because I didn't think that they would have that great of chemistry together. But, man, do they work. And they're able to trade off who's the straight man and who's the comedian. 
though I mean arguably Gosling's character we take less seriously than Russell Crowe but Russell Crowe is a really just generous actor I feel I mean so many established stars aren't willing to be the butt of jokes or you know they always need to be in the spotlight I'm thinking of Will Smith and uh, Suicide Squad right as being like that, but Russell Crowe, I think, is at that point in his career where he doesn't care. He just wants to make a good story. And if it works, it works. Um, I thought this was the best comedy of the year. Uh, also had some of the best action of the year. The story's convoluted, but that's what happens with film noir, so I don't fault it for that. I can't wait to rewatch this film. I think it comes out on uh, streaming and... Redbots here in another week or two. So well, it folds back on itself, but it's still cohesive at the end. I mean, uh, unlike the movie you just mentioned, Suicide Squad, which goes in all sorts of different mm-hmm. directions and nothing really seems to be connected. With this, you can finally see the connections at the end, whether or not you're willing to accept them. I don't really see it as an action or a comedy, but the combination of those two things is why it kind of exists as its own genre. Yeah, it's Lethal Weapon meets Film Noir. I mean, that's the close, yeah. maybe a little bit of Bid Lebowski thrown in there for seasoning and flavor. I was also 10 or 11 years old at around the time of this movie, so I kind of recognized the flavor of mm-hmm. it. So it was nostalgic for me. They did a really good job with reproducing the time period. So the production values were pretty high. Yeah, so... Uh, that's my number one and your number two. My uh, number two is from the Coen brothers. And pretty much whenever the Coen brothers come out with a film, it's going to be higher on our list. Uh, this year they did Hail Caesar, which is a throwback to classic Hollywood. also has a little bit of that film noir in it. Uh, the movie stars Josh Brolin as a real-life Hollywood fixer Eddie Manitz, who worked for Capitol Pictures in the 1950s. And here he's got to track down a a missing movie star. There are problems with other stars. And basically it's just a day in his hectic life. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. How long since your last confession, my son? 27 hours. It's really too often. You're not that bad. Here in Capitol Pictures, as you know, millions of people look to us for information and uplift and, yes, entertainment. And we're going to give it to them. And action. An army of technicians and actors and top-notch artistic people are working hard to bring to the screen our biggest release of the year. Hail Caesar is a prestige picture with one of the biggest stars in the world, Baird Whitlock. A truth we could see if we had, but... If we had... The film also has George Clooney in it, Channing Tatum, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, We reviewed it on episode 121 of the Laugh Podcast, and I'll let you talk about it. But for me, the thing that I loved about it was it rewards knowing your film history. Like if you know what the rumors were in Hollywood in the 40s and 50s and what all the scuttlebug was this movie has a lot of fun with those rumors. Right. So, um, you know, it works as a Coen Brothers film, but it also works as a history lesson as well. Yeah, and if you know who some of these guys are, like Robert Taylor, uh, Gene Kelly, Hedda Hopper, these Mm -hmm. famous characters from old Dalton Trumbo. Yeah, if you exactly. If you recognize those types or those character types and – plug them into this movie as their um, sort of analogs, then 
you, you might have a better enjoyment of it than most, you know, just your rank and file moviegoer of today. Like, I don't know if our students would understand many of the inside jokes, but there's something about the spectacle of what they're trying to capture that makes me confident that I can show it in my film class, maybe as an introduction to old Hollywood. There's some things in it, and I think it's PG-13. I hope it is. Yes. I can't remember anything in it that was very uh, over the top. I mean, there's some sexuality with Scarlett Johansson, and they sort of reference that. But um, Scarlett Johansson, Jonah Hill, there's just the right amount of spice. Uh, They're not in it much, and maybe that's a drawback in the film, but I think they're in it the perfect amount for what, uh, you know, uh, who's the Channing Tatum. He plays that Gene Kelly type actor. His role is a highlight in the film. You mentioned, or you didn't mention Alden Ehrenreich. He's going to be the new Indiana Jones. I thought he was Han Solo. Han Solo, sorry. Same thing. But we want him to be the new Indiana Jones also. <laughs> Laser gun instead of whip. <laughs> right. Sorry, I, I wrote down Indiana Jones. Because huh? my hope is that he becomes the next Indiana Jones. He's a singing cowboy type in this movie. I thought he was... The best part of the movie, the funniest part of the movie, was an exchange between him and uh, Ray Fiennes as Lawrence Lorenz, an acclaimed European film director, working with this sort of singing cowboy actor. It's hilarious. Would that it were so simple. Sorry. <laughs> Cinematographer also on this is Roger Deakins. Um, so they they ex- they're expanding that collaborate co- collaboration. Um. Joel and Ethan Cohen are working with George Clooney on his next movie, Suburbicon, as writers. I think Clooney is the star of it, but it's going to have Josh Brolin in it and Oscar Isaac, Julianne Moore. So Wow. that It's like all of the best actors from the last 10 years of Cohen Brothers yeah. films. Uh, here they're writing Black Money, which they may direct as like a noir directive, directive detective kind of movie. But I wish they would do... The Coen Brothers. I wish they would do uh, like a thoughtful sci-fi movie, not necessarily a comedy, like a like a genre picture. They they work in so many different genres. Mm-hmm. They make it their own. That it would be interesting to see how they deal with a technologically driven science fiction movie. It probably never happened, but it could be a. I mean, it would be a little treat for me. Yeah, I mean, they try and stay away from the special effects. I mean, there are scene replacement stuff that they do in films, yeah. but. And they've worked with green screens, but they seem to try to avoid that. It, it would be interesting to see what they would do with science fiction because they're so good at looking back on the past and what happened and twisting it in well, odd ways. It'd be interesting to see how they twist the future. A lot the of their movies, the and this movie as well, deals with the presence of God, presence or absence of God, and sort of that existence, like that combination of the spiritual world. A lot of thoughtful science fiction deals with the same sort of uh, concepts or themes. So those are our top five movies of the year so far. Yeah. And we reserve the right to change them at any time. And who knows how many will end up on our list at the <laughs> end of the year. Hopefully all of them will get wiped off. Oh, cause then you get brand new films to love and enjoy. Yeah. Any uh, runners up? Uh, like some that finished just outside. Like I think Deadpool for me, uh, I also have Captain America, Civil War. Yeah, Civil War somewhere up there with me. Yeah, you're kind of like not so high on that, but I loved The Shallows also. That was that was just outside of my top five. Yeah, Shallows was a good surprise. I'm trying to think of something that I watched that really struck me. I don't know. It's it's been slow for the first half of this year. <laughs> yeah, 
Any uh, major disappointments? Uh, the Killing Joke was a huge disappointment mm-hmm. for me. Um, Batman v Superman. Really? That was a bit disappointing. Jane got a gun for me. Yeah, yeah. I was very disappointed with that movie. So, But anyway, so... Well, it, the second half of the year looks strong. Uh, we'll be doing a preview show here soon. Yeah, usually that comes know. out in September when we go back to school. It's one of our first things. Ryan Gosling as private investigator Holland March says that the best part of this is that nobody really got hurt. To which uh, Russell Crowe's Jackson Healy reply, replies, well, some people got hurt. Well, they died quickly, so they really didn't get hurt. <laughs> so for me, Mr. Two Frames over there, or on the L train box of everybody. There be dragons. Are you going to the movies this weekend? Let Laugh know what you saw. Send in your review by emailing the show at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com, tweeting at the Laugh Podcast, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash the Laugh Podcast. The best comments will get read on a future show. 